Welcome to the Compass Podcast, featuring Chris Shandro and the Compass team. We hope this message is just for you. Well, hey, welcome back. I am Chris, the pastor at Compass. I am really glad that you're with me today because today we're talking about marriage and singleness, or rather, which one is better? Now, there are people who say that nothing is better than being married, having a partner for life. And then there are people who say that nothing is better than being single, single and ready to mingle, free to do whatever you want, whenever you want, with whoever you want to do it with. But the answer, I think, isn't as super clean cut as we may think it is, whichever side you're on, because all of the pro-marriage people used to be single, and a lot of the pro-single people have actually already been married. And there are probably a lot of people in the middle, married people who think that being single sounds pretty great. When I was in Bible college, there was a saying that you learned very quickly when you started. And the saying was this, a ring by spring or your money back. And that wasn't too far off. I mean, kids would show up, they would hook up, and they would be married by 20. People had zero problem admitting that the only reason that they were there was to find a good Christian husband or wife who wanted to be in ministry with them. Now, that might not make sense to you, or maybe it does. I mean, maybe you hear that and you think, how could anyone want to get married that young? I mean, you don't even have a fully developed brain yet. How could you possibly know who you want to be with forever? Or if you even want to get married at all before you have a fully formed prefrontal cortex. Now, this is a, a very common view today because more people are marrying much later in life. And that's if they get married at all. In Matthew 19, Jesus begins this dialogue about how the path to being a model disciple in his kingdom is a path of downward mobility. And that's what we've been talking about in this message series. And today we're going to look at what that race to the bottom looks like in our most important relationship choices, married or single. And we're going to look at Matthew 19, 9 is where we're going to start. And this is where Jesus, what Jesus says. He says, I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife except for sexual immorality and marries another woman commits adultery. And the disciples said to him, if this is the situation between a husband and wife, it's better not to marry. Now, we talked about the first part of this verse last week. Um, we talked a little bit about divorce and the culture and the context. So you should check that out. But, but here we can see that Jesus lays out God heart for, God's heart for marriage. And hearing this, the disciples have one specific takeaway. If marriage is for life and divorce is off the table, it's better to not get married. I mean, I don't want to be trapped in a bad marriage forever. I'm pretty sure that's not the message Jesus was trying to communicate, but I can understand how the disciples got there. And it's not because I don't want to be married forever, but actually because I have another character flaw that I want to admit to you. I'm very competitive and I absolutely hate losing. I hate losing so much that I won't play a game at all if I don't think I can win. Chess, New York Times crossword, uh, disc golf, Super Mario. If I cannot win, I'm just not going to play the game. If I can't beat you at it, don't even bother asking me to play. And that's exactly what the disciples are thinking here. They're thinking, you know, divorce has been a safety net for generations. And if I don't have the right to divorce my wife when things aren't good, why get married? Why play the marriage game at all if I might lose and lose badly? See, the bottom line for the disciples was this. If divorce isn't an option, then we shouldn't get married. 
Because marriage, the way that Jesus is describing it, is impossible. Now, to be fair to the disciples, they lived in a culture where arranged marriage was normal. It wouldn't be uncommon for a couple to not interact much or even at all. Maybe they wouldn't even meet before they got married. And that's a lot of pressure to put on two strangers who are supposed to have children and spend the rest of their lives together. We're fortunate. We live in a culture where we have the benefit of of dating and getting to know someone before we get married. But even then, our divorce rate is still around 50%. Imagine never meeting your spouse before your wedding night. And not like in a weird, creepy reality show way, like in the real world way. I mean, you probably wouldn't give your marriage great odds. And just like it is today, divorce, it was a good escape for a marriage that wasn't working. Now, when you consider all of this, and you consider the disciples' world, their context, the way they saw things, they just decided that it's easier to stay single than it is to commit to what might be a bad marriage. Jesus continues in verse 11. Jesus replied, not everyone can accept this word, but only those to whom it's been given. For there are eunuchs who were born that way, and there are eunuchs who have been made eunuchs by others. And there are those who choose to live like eunuchs for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. And the one who can accept this should accept it. So Jesus, here's what the disciples are saying when they're like, hey, it's better to not get married than be trapped in a bad one. And and Jesus is like, okay, hold on, guys. I know you think that being single is a safer bet than being married, but not everyone can do that. The, The ability to pull that off is a gift, that God gives only to some people, but it's not for everyone. And Jesus wasn't kidding. In the culture of his day, marriage wasn't just an institution. Marriage was an imperative. The Jewish people saw marriage and having children as as following God's command to go forth and multiply. And so for them, it wasn't as much about love and intimacy as it was about obedience and procreation. It was God's demand and God's design which is why Jesus' Jesus's comparison of choosing to be single and comparing that to being a eunuch would have been so shocking because eunuchs couldn't have children. And as a result, they were held in really low esteem. They weren't even allowed into the temple. And similarly, anyone who willingly embraced singleness and chose not to have Mary and have children, that person was looked at with a lot of skepticism. You may think it's strange that Jesus, who was single, would tell his disciples that singleness isn't for everyone, but everything in their religious culture was pushing in the direction of marriage. There's also another reason for marriage that the Apostle Paul offers up, uh, really in support of marriage over singleness, in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 9. He says this, he says, But if they can't control themselves, they should go ahead and marry, because it's better to marry than to burn with lust. So when you look at these two things, it sounds like Jesus is saying that marriage is the better path because it's God's design for procreation. And then we look at what Paul says, and it sounds like he's saying that marriage is a release valve for sexual desire. And if you add those two things together, it sounds like marriage is God's ideal situation, while singleness is more of an outlier, only for the people who God has called to it. And this is actually still what much of the church culture today communicates even if we don't say it out loud. You know, marriage is the goal, and married people are the target demographic for church ministries. And yeah, we try to accommodate single people, 
but secretly maybe we hope that they will get married eventually so that we'll know what to do with them. And I don't know if this is your experience in the church if you have been single or are single now. But if it is, I'm willing to bet that it doesn't feel much like a gift from God, in spite of what Jesus said. But there's something else Paul said that I think we have to make sense of in all this. Paul did say that it's better to marry than to burn with sexual desire. But look at what he said right before that and leading up to it. In verse 7, he says, I wish everyone were single just as I am. Yet each person has a special gift from God of one kind or another. So I say to those who aren't married and to widows, it's better to stay unmarried just as I am. If you think about what Paul is saying here, it sounds almost like the exact opposite of what Jesus said. Because Jesus made it sound like marriage is the goal. And singleness then is just for those who God has specifically called to it or equipped for it. But Paul, he makes it sound like singleness is the goal. And that marriage is just for those who, who can't control their sexual desires. So which is it? Which is the kingdom ideal? Is it staying single so you can devote yourself to serving God? Or is it getting married so you can fulfill God's original creation design for mankind? Maybe it's neither. Maybe it's not about whether it's better to be single or married, but about a better way to be single or married. Let me share three observations about all of this that I think can help us make sense of this marriage versus singleness conflict. And, and my first observation is this. It's that singleness is a gift that is not for everyone. Jesus said the capacity for singleness is something that is given by God, but that it's not for everyone. It's only for those who can accept it. And then Paul calls singleness a special gift from God. Paul chose to live a single life in order to devote himself to the work of God. And Paul wished everyone else would do the same. But he also acknowledged that different people get different gifts. Both Jesus and Paul, they put a high premium on being single in order to serve God better. Yet both of them acknowledge that it's not for everyone. And that means this, there is no shame in being single. Quite the opposite. Being single is a gift from God to those who can receive it. And it also means that imposing singleness on people, even for the sake of the kingdom, it isn't right. You can't demand a standard of singleness from other people because not everyone has been given that gift. It's cruelty to not hold in high regard those who embrace God's gift of singleness. And it's cruelty to impose singleness on those who haven't been given that gift by God. So that's my first observation. My second observation is that marriage is a covenant with no built-in off-ramp. Jesus envisions marriage as more than just a sanctified way to have sex without going to hell. It's so much more than that. It's a covenant relationship between two people. It's a commitment to not just become one physically, but spiritually and emotionally. Marriage is a total union of two people who share everything, who are completely transparent and vulnerable with each other. And when you enter into a covenant marriage relationship, Two lives are tied together in a braid that isn't meant to be undone. And the only way to, to get out of that braid is to cut it because that knot can't be untied. It's like being on an interstate that has no exits. You can get off the road, but you're going to have to crash through the guardrails into the ditch to do it. 
And even when divorce is justified, the damage is still done when one person has already hurt their partner so much by pushing them off the road. Because marriage is designed to be a covenant relationship with no easy or built-in off-ramps, which is why divorce is so painful. And my final observation really comes from taking a step back and looking at the big picture of all of this. Because when we do that, we can see that kingdom relationships are built on selflessness. There's really two assumptions at play here. And assumption one is that marriage is God's creation plan, but if divorce is off the table, it's better to be single. And then assumption two is that singleness is God's plan to be fully devoted to him, but if you really want to have sex, it's better to be married. And both of these assumptions have something in common. They're both self-centered. They're about what I want and what I get. If I don't like my marriage, I want the freedom of divorce to get out of a covenant relationship. Or I want to have sex whenever I want, so I need to get into a covenant relationship. Neither of these scenarios are about actually having a good relationship with God or my spouse. The motivating factor here is getting what I want, sex or freedom, putting myself first over both the desires of God and others. But in the relationships Jesus and Paul envision, regardless of whether it's single or married, those relationships are rooted in selflessness. They're rooted in putting someone else first. And whether you're drawn to marriage or given the gift of singleness, in all of our relationships, we are called to put others first, to race to the bottom so that we can elevate the kingdom of God and love others well. Perhaps the real lesson here is that whether we're married or single, our real goal is not to be first, but to be last. And again, Jesus invites his followers onto a path of downward mobility. You may more closely identify with either being single or married, but the reality is, is that these aren't even permanent states. We're all single before marriage, and many married people become single through the death of a spouse or a painful divorce. And we don't always know when things are going to change. But the one thing that never changes is that in all of our relationships, especially our covenant relationships, the way of Jesus is the way of putting others first. Giving up our place at the front of the line for the benefit of someone else. Not selfishly using our relationships to get what we want, but selflessly giving of ourselves so they can have what they need. I acknowledge that for many people, the quality of our marriages or of our single lives, the quality of those things is very much out of our control. But whether your marriage is bad and you wish you could be single again, or your single life is a struggle and you just long for marriage, Jesus sees you. He cares about your hurt, your pain, and your need. He sees you in your desire for change, and he's with you as you walk out this difficult road. And in the same way that he always lifted up dishonored, disrespected, and hurting people, he's lifting you up too. In your weakness, his strength is made perfect. In your pain, his healing can be felt. In your need, he's able to provide for you. And in your confusion, he's ready to give you wisdom and guide your steps. And if you're on the other side of things, if your marriage is really good, or if you are single and satisfied, I encourage you to lift up your brothers and sisters who are struggling. Perhaps your way of being selfless is to be 
a family for your single friends and a home where they're always welcome. Or maybe your selfless relationships look like being a safe place for your married friends who are struggling in their marriage. Being a person who can listen without judgment, who can offer encouragement when they're low, and who can help them when they ask for help. And wherever you are in all of this, let's just ask ourselves, how can I be more selfless in my relationships with others? How can I put my husband or wife first? How can I put my single friends first? How can I put God first? Maybe you just need to ask them, how can I be more selfless and put you first? The path of Jesus is one of selflessness. Selflessness. It's putting ourselves last for the benefit of others. Singleness and marriage are both paths that are gifts from God, and both paths include relationships that require commitment to his way of being a kingdom person in a selfish world. There is a life God has called you to, and he will equip you for it as you embrace his path of selflessness in all of your relationships and of love for others. May God bless you. May he bless your relationships, whether married or single. May you find fulfillment in whatever he's, or fulfillment in whatever he's called you to. And may we seek to live like Jesus lived, think like he thought, and do what he taught. I'll see you next time. Thank you for joining us at Compass. We hope you enjoyed this podcast. If you have any questions about Compass or this message, contact us at our website, www.compassbn.com. Oh,